The Athletic. The guy who was crying, hugging his dad, that's Richarlison because he's he's so genuine. Everybody just really, really likes him in the national team. Everyone who works with Richarlison, he, he just wins people over. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. And those of you who follow us on Twitter will know that it's now a source of nearly all information for the Keep, the global football bible. And that was bound to happen sooner or later, wasn't it? I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined uh, so very often by Charlie Eccleshare and today by a special guest, uh, Natalie. I'm going to have a go. Hedra, how are you pronouncing your name, Natalie? <laughs> That's close enough, Danny. I have, Thank you I have, very much. I have multiple versions of my last name, and I completely accept this one. Okay, well, because it's a common courtesy to at least try and get your name correct. <laughs> uh, Natalie Hedra, she is uh, she is a Brazilian football journalist for ESPN, a regular contributor. You'll have heard her, of course, on the Totally Football Show. Um, I wanted to get Natalie on because Spurs are now heavily influenced, and no more than last night, by Brazilian players, and she knows them personally. And in the second half of today's podcast, we will... Just hear what kind of people they actually are, because in the world, the world the way it works now, we don't know um, Richarlison because we don't speak his language. We don't know Emerson Royale because we don't speak his language, etc. Um, last night's game at the lane, we'll get onto the football in a second, but it was surreal in many, many ways. Um, ben Davis's diving-headed clearance <laughs> right at the end was like the perfect bookend for a mad night at the lane. Did anyone else notice... Antonio Conte trying to make the referee, drawing attention to the referee, the time wasting by pointing to his wrist. And that is a very common thing to do. But he was pointing to the wrist that was naked. <laughs> um, he had a watch on, but he wasn't pointing to his watch. He was pointing, I'm here, I'm pointing to the freckles on my wrist. It's not the same thing, Antonio. Um, I also wasn't there myself. I know you were, so uh, I can't comment really on the poor quality of the chips. What's the point of having a space station for a, a, a stadium when people like Orla and L177177, not his real name, I suspect, um, on Twitter complain about the quality of the chips? And finally, um, and this is old teeing myself up here for an anecdote, as you'll be you know, aware, Joey Barton. <laughs> did, 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 did you see Joey Barton in his Marseille shirt at all, Charlie? I, I was zooming as much as I could on my phone. It was the other end of the ground, unfortunately. Um, ah. An incredible spectacle. Um, in fact, Joey's face caused me to take a deep breath and to swallow something hard and jagged very quickly. About four, must be four, four years ago, maybe even more, the big summer signing on the radio station I worked for, Talk Sport, was Joey Barton. He was going to be our Monday night get-after-the-football pundit. And it was thought that the person most likely to be able to contain and steer the Barton in the right direction was my good self. And so throughout the summer, we had a series of extraordinary meetings. Now, I don't know whether you'll mind me saying this, but, but I can't really be bothered about that because it's all true. Um, often involving the senior management of the radio station, far too much, far too many high pay grades. But Joey was really a big thing. Um, and he would come accompanied by a gentleman who I later found out was his kind of life coach, or to be absolutely firm about it, his guru. I think that was the word he used in his book. He's got a guru. So I'm there, all the radio top brass, Joey who I found actually very personable uh, on a face-to-face -face level, his guru, ridiculous, series of meetings, but the show was going to be huge. Big posters on the London Underground, my, my big space opera head, Joey Barton, here we go, here we go. The show lasted precisely one episode. Um, halfway <laughs> through the first episode, 
Joey, being Joey, bless him, objected to one of the sponsors or one of the advertisers on the show and could not be persuaded down off the ledge. So having spent a whole summer preparing this show, I did three hours with him and he disappeared into the mists of history. Um, and so when, it, when I saw his face again, it still brings me a slight hiccup when I see him because of, of all the effort I wasted. Tr- triggering, we call that. Then. That is exactly what it was. I am triggered to a slight tear rolling down the old face there um, when I see Joey Barton. But how much do you think your life would be an improvement if you had a guru? Um, That's a good question. I, I, Natalie, Are you well, offering, I, Natalie? I don't know if you're aware of the concept of self-guruing, right? Oh, um, I, that's I pretentious. Am, I, I, thank, welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the game. Natalie, I'll ask, I'll ask you first. Spurs were somewhere between average and terrible for the first 50 minutes of the game again. So are they a good football team because they get results? Or are they a bad football team because they're really tricky to watch, difficult watch? Well, I think nerves played a part and it would be natural. We, we can't use this explanation for all the other matches in Premier League. Uh, but in this case, I think it, it's, it, it, was, it was natural. We kind of saw it coming that nerves would play a part. But no, they are a good football team. And I think we are right to, to expect more for them, from them because we just want them to fulfill their, their potential. But I think for that first half, considering the circumstances, considering Marcel and, and the atmosphere and everything that was involved, it, it was more forgiving than the rest do, during the rest of the season. And, and Marcel, to be fair, they, 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 they played really well that first half. They defended That's really fair. well. They, they pressed uh, Spurs really well and they dominated possession. So we have to give them credit too. And, and Spurs, of course, found more space when they, they had a, a, a player sent out. So, yeah, no, it's, it's all for... I, I kind of understand that the first half. I don't think we, we should be so harsh on Spurs. Um, and um, if I might, um, I know listeners will um, forgive um, uh, the, the indulgence here of our guest, Natalie. But Natalie, in your uh, descriptor um, on Twitter, it says you're a Beatles fanatic. I don't speak Portuguese, but I picked that up from it. <laughs> um, and so the nerves are understandable. Um, two and a half years since Spurs last played a Champions League game. And just to put that into Beatles fanatic language and the language of this program, in two and a half years in the mid-60s, the Beatles made... Revolver, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, the Magical Mystery Tour album, and the double album, the white album, The Beatles. And so all, you know, two and a half years, it's a very long time culturally, and maybe that explains the nerves. Uh, Charlie, I mean, the stadium, magnificent. The crowd before the start, magnificent. As the Spurs fan on this podcast, um, not revealing Natalie supports some outfit in Brazil, who knows, um, that <laughs> lovely white kit, I mean, just brings tears to my eyes. Um, and then the first half was such an anticlimax. Yes, they certainly looked the part. It was, uh, I mean, Natalie, you texted me at halftime saying Spurs took too long to get in the match. And I thought that's definitely true. And I thought you could have said that about pretty much any game this season. I mean, they've tended to start first halves slowly I, I would say on that that it was another case of an opponent in inverted commas having the better of the first half without actually doing a whole lot I mean Marseille were really neat and tidy on the ball thought Guendouzi was very good oh you look like Perlo because uh, Spurs vacate the midfield yeah. don't they but I think the way Conte sees it is very different because 
Like when I put it to him, I think it was after the first four games, maybe or three. I basically, you know, that I said to him, the sense is results are good, performances not so much. And I think he genuinely was a bit surprised because, in his view, a game where the team has the opposition has basically created not a lot isn't really that concerning for him. So I don't think... I think, yes, he would have wanted more intensity from the team in that first half, but I don't think it would have especially worried him. Obviously, it's 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 hard to know because they then got that massive bonus of the Marseille red card, which did, you know, that that completely tilted the balance in their favour. Sorry, uh, sorry. But, 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 certainly... let's, but let's just say it. The, the red card was the, uh, the result of the first actually dynamic piece of play by Spurs. The yeah. first time they moved the ball quickly and not stodgily, they got something positive out of it. And there's the lesson for Conte if he needs lessons. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was that quick one-two. It's also significant because it's another game where you come off saying Son, I thought, I mean, Son was 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 pretty bad last night. But he made that really critical contribution because it's his burst in behind that terrifies the defender, draws the red card, changes the game. So that's sort of the conundrum that I think Spurs have with Son at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he 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 was absolutely poor with the ball again, but I thought he was at least looking to run into places that perhaps he was not hiding from, but not re- he's been encouraged to be himself, and that looked that looked pretty good. Um, I should ask you again, Natalie. Uh, we've been talking on the podcast. I'd love to get your view. All my life has been has seen that football tactics change again and again and again to try and make sure you have enough people in midfield. Spurs may be the first team in the history of the world to decide that what, the, what you don't need is a midfield, <laughs> that we're going to vacate the midfield. And yet, as I said, Guendouzi then strolls around, passing the ball around. I mean, it, it may be working for Conte. It's nerve-wracking for fans, though, isn't it? No, I can't imagine it is, because uh, I was actually kind of surprised with how easily Marcel would get to the final third and would just stroll uh, in between the, the, the midfielders. I can understand what Conte is doing because he has very good players uh, playing on the sides of the pitch. Uh, But at the same time, you have managers like Pep Guardiola saying that uh, the midfield, you need people in the midfield. And you you hear interviews of of him saying uh, that he wants everyone in the midfield. He wants to put people in the midfield. And you have Conte that it's obviously a completely different style and completely different philosophy. And to an extent, of course it works. But it, 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 I, can't, I completely understand when you say it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> yes, it is. It's absolutely nerve-wracking. I've got no nails left with this team. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. <laughs> Poor you. But, but honestly, in a way, I think in, in certain circumstances, it, it works more clearly. But in in case uh, in yesterday's case, in the case of this this match against Marcel, I just thought he he could bring some density to to this midfield that would at least uh, give this impression of or of more a more solid uh, system and a, a more solid organization in in terms of. Of, of the transitions, especially the transitions were were quite easy for for Marcel at times. But but this is something I mean we've spoken about this so much and uh, you know this was something that I wrote about after the Wolves game, which was what the third game of the season, and it was apparent there. And basically posing the question: Does it matter? Have we been so brainwashed by Pep and others into thinking the only way to win football matches and certainly at the elite level is through dominating the midfield? As Natalie says, Pep is a manager who's you know who pioneered the four six zero formation really? Um, yeah. 
or, or even more. I think there was a Bayern Munich game. Where he played, uh, they, they only they had two non-midfielders on the pitch. That yeah, exact game. Was, was it when they beat Roma? They went and smashed them something like seven, I think in Pep's first season. And it was literally, it was incredible. Everyone in midfield, more or less. But that's not how Conte wants to play. But again, it's that sort of, that slight sterile domination, I think, is what um, Marseille had, which will worry him less than it will supporters and those of us who just think sort of possession equals dominance. But it doesn't. And like, if you remember how the the Wenger Arsenal teams and Mourinho's Chelsea teams would match up, what would happen is Arsenal would have all the ball. But even but they didn't dominate because you always felt they were vulnerable on the counter to, to Jose's Chelsea. And what would happen is Lampard would pick up the ball, ping one to Drogba, Drogba would score. So I do think you you can cede possession but still be the sort of dominant team. Like, in fact, City Spurs, the game will preview because that's happening again on Saturday. That fixture last season, I think Spurs had the better of that game despite the fact City hoovered up possession because they had such a threat on the counter now obviously yesterday what was missing in the first half anyway was that threat on the counter but you know it just took that one in the second half right at the start song goes through red card game changes you know what? But yes, it's nerve-wracking for sure. No, I understand it's nerve-wracking, and but and it changes the tempo of the game. If you have a dense midfield and if you have a lot of midfielders working hard, it, it really changes the, the the tempo. But I think it, it you need that efficiency in the final third for for this to properly work. And if you don't have, and if you don't, and if you're just chasing the ball all the time, then it it, it becomes nerve-wracking. And I think in certain circumstances, and and Spurs did did this really well against City last season at the Etihad. They they were very edgy every time they had the ball. And we couldn't see that against Marseille mm. yesterday. So 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 that is something they, they should look uh for. And and uh, and it, it depends as well in, in the type of match they that, like Marcelo is very much aggressive they were much more aggressive on, on first half so I think Spurs were lacking a, a little bit of, of that that aggressiveness in the final third maybe you you would it wouldn't be so nerve-wracking if they did yeah I guess for me it's just Conte uh, sitting there um, quite happily believing and successfully believing and earning a load of money believing that you can vacate the midfield. It's like somebody arriving in my front door and telling me, actually, Danny, it's t- t- amazing. We were wrong all along. The earth is actually flat. Don't, don't worry about it. The earth, it turns out, is flat and he can prove it. Um, listen, we're, 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 we're forgetting the fact that, of course, Spurs actually won the game. Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave Richarlison's um, uh, contribution to the second half of the podcast because I want to talk to Natalie a lot about him. Um, but they did win the game. Um, and some of that was to do with, uh, I mean... Kulisevsky just came on and, and tra- you know he did he didn't come on and play like George Best but he he changed the atmosphere in the team and I also to be having criticised Conte sometimes for being too defensive he threw on as much forward power as he could Charlie yeah I mean I think the fact they were down to ten men helped him sure, because, of course it does yeah because in fact actually when Kulisevsky was warming up I was talking about it uh, with Jack and Dan Kilpatrick from the standard next to me. And we were sort of saying, who's going to come on What a firm that is, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, uh, yeah. the three amigos. Um, and I said, I won, I, I think it might be Royale who comes off just because they, they had that extra Because amount. of Not... the way he was playing. Well, <laughs> Natalie's right there. Come on then. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, would he would he have made that a nil nil against eleven? I don't know, but yeah, it worked. But but I think that is really important, though. The fact that they have, I, I think I made this analogy before that like 
Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson used to quite often rely on a front three in European games being so good that they could sort of do things on their own a little bit, even if the midfield was a bit disjointed. And I see that in this Tottenham team and that City game, the Etihad we keep referring to is a good example. They generally do have enough that they can, that even if they cede control of the midfield, they can play on the counter and one of Son, Kudusevsky, Kane, now Richarlison will make a difference. You know, and, and having that extra striker, we talked about it so much in the summer with Richarlison's arrival, it, having an elite forward to bring off the bench in every game, unless you start all four of them, which Conte hasn't done yet, is massive. Like you're all, you always have that game changing option. Um, and yeah, yesterday that that was Kudusevsky. He just gave them something different. And I do, I do wonder if they look a bit more balanced with him. Um, he's more, you know, he links things more effectively than either Son or Charleston, who are more finishers than creators. And the left-footedness, I think, just gives them a bit of a balance. Um, but he uh, he definitely made a made a claim to be starting on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Unless you're unless you're Liverpool's front three of three years ago, not the current incumbents, it should be said. Um, and of course, we've been moaning about Spurs playing a bit stodgy. We're not Chelsea or Liverpool fans, and what they're going through this morning. Um, yeah, if you play a front three, you're never going to get. Set that Liverpool front three, an absolutely perfect balance of finishing, work rate, and all the rest of it. So Spurs are now matching, uh, Kane always has to play, of course, matching uh, three from four. But it, it's a good thing. Also remember, and I know we've mentioned this before, but that Liverpool often, their midfield was accused of being pretty stodgy. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. You know, even in the season, they got almost 100 points. I, I remember that being a common accusation. Admittedly, they had fullbacks who That's it. were so creative. Yeah. But, you know, even so. And just on a basic level, seeding the midfield, having those three centre-backs does make Spurs pretty hard to break down. I know I always bang on about this, but their defensive record is very, very good. And that's not really talked about um, because it's sometimes... I think the, the the reason it's not talked about is it can sometimes look as if it happens almost by accident because teams control the game. But they control the game because that's where the space is. But then, what can they do when they're up against three very good centre backs? And I think we 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 got to be very. This, you know, we're getting into the, into the, drilling down into football technicalities here. But um, having Natalie here helps because we always think about defences as being the last line of the team. But it's not always like that. The, the Brazil won the World Cup. The team with Dunga in the midfield, where they had their four defenders were the two centre backs and the two central midfielders because they had Roberto Carlos mm. and Cafu, the greatest pair of fullbacks the world has ever seen. Um, who were out-and-out attackers. Let's not pretend they were defenders. They found a way. They still had four defenders, but they were in the middle of the pitch. And Spurs are now using five defenders in the middle of the pitch to compensate for the way that that, that it wants to play. I'm not comparing Spurs currently to that Brazilian team. Believe me, I'm not. (laughs) But, but, oh, God, imagine if Conte... Natalie's just left the podcast. Imagine imagine if Conte had Cafu and Roberto Carlos to work with. Oh, my God. Um, You know, in Brazil, it was always a big question uh, when, when people were playing, when teams were playing five in the back. Because uh, we had such success for so many years with four in the back and two central midfielders and two offensive midfielders and two forwards that it was like it was our classic. Anything different from that, it, it took us a while to, to get used to. And but when you see Spurs play with the guy that is so 
physical and at the same time so smart as Kulusevski. And he's just so useful on both both ends of the pitch because the way he... Uh, I was actually talking to Royale the other day and he, he said... That's, that's, that's why Natalie's here. I, I, was, I, was having, <laughs> I was having dinner with Emerson Royale the other day. <laughs> he said, you wouldn't believe how easy it is to play with Kulusevski because he is so smart. His, his vision, like the way, the, the way he sees the game, it's, it's quite impressive. Everyone's impressed with him, not only with his physicality because he's big and sometimes because he's, he's so big and he has this presence, we forget that he's a young player, but he is very smart. And I, and I told him, yeah, and, and he's very young. And he was like almost offended. He's younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know he's younger than you. And he was like, but he's already so developed. And the way he linked things, he brings this energy. And at the same time, he doesn't bring only the energy because it, it sounds almost a little irresponsible. Oh, you come onto the pitch and you just go forward and you just go with the ball and you bring this energy. No, he's very aware of everything that's happening around him. And that's quite impressive. I mean, he's young. The, the way he's developing and everything that he can offer to Spurs, this is why I was so surprised yesterday. I wasn't expecting Richarlison to start because I thought... Who can argue that you were you would bench Kulusevski for 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 two matches in a row after the 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 start of the year that he had, but at the same time he brings this completely new factor when he 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 goes into uh, to the second half and and it's really enjoyable to watch the, the four up front. I know I know we can't have it every week, but <laughs> it's just so interesting the way they move around. You see Richarlison running the back, and then you see Harry Kane doing the same, and then you see Son in, in one end and Kulusevski. It it requires a lot of uh, tactical responsibility, and and they have to be very aware of where the the other one is. But it's always so eye catching, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get on to Richarlison in a few minutes' time, I promise. But uh, the uh, just to, just to say what he does bring in a in a system as. And Conte's not a fool, obviously. I mean, he believes the earth is flat, but other than that, he's not a fool. Um, he brings to that very, very set Spurs way of playing a little bit of chaos. He is mm. slightly chaotic. And now, I know he's, he's an intelligent footballer and the rest of it. His positioning for some of the things he does is fantastic. But he brings a little bit of unpredictability to what is otherwise, uh, and, and that, that otherwise pretty predictable, and I think that unsettles defences a little bit. Kulusevski does it as well, but particularly Richarlison. Um, listen, uh, we'll, we'll, a couple of other things. So that, that, that's the game. Spurs won. They had to win the opening game um, because we know already that Liverpool can't win the Champions League. Chelsea can't win the Champions League. Um, I think I'm right in saying if you lose your first game in the group stage, nobody's ever gone on to win the Champions League. That's all right. Yeah, check that. Wow. So you can make go down. Inter, they're not winning no Champions League. <laughs> uh, and, and on and on down the list. Spurs still very much in the running for the Champions League. A um, couple of other things before we get to the break. Um, Thomas Tuchel's been sacked. Who knew Chelsea? Um, <laughs> looks like Graham Potter is going to go, go in. And uh, Charlie will know that I take a lot of personal credit for the development of, of Graham Potter over the years. I'll, we'll go on to that another time. Um, you two are not Spurs fans, but I, I'm going to ask you... Obviously, I'm I am very relieved that it's not going to be Pochettino. I don't think I could have stood to see him in the Chelsea dugout. Yeah, I think that would have been a real shame. Um, I mean, I think for Pochettino that there is an issue for him because he's so linked now with Spurs. There are quite a few clubs that that sort of rules him out of 
um, you know, taking English shows. And then likewise in Spain because of his connections. With Espanol, some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like there, there are some jobs you can't take there. But I also feel a degree... I, I, I tweeted yesterday, I think it's a shame that the financial inequalities of football mean that Potter can't really turn that job down. Um, but so it is a shame, yeah. It feels a shame that he is leaving what he's doing. I totally understand why, because he can't win the biggest... He just can't win the biggest prizes at Brighton. But I also... He is someone I like so much, so um, yeah, I'm a little bit sad to see him see him going to Chelsea as well. But that, like, what I want is Chelsea to to appoint a sort of gun for hire like they used to, who I have zero sort of emotional attachment yeah. to. That would be ideal. If they could just get back a sort of Ancelotti equivalent, that would be ideal. In the uh, more dreary stages of the first half last night, my mind was drifting off to a a kind of lovely dream I had, where Chelsea did appoint Pochettino, um, and then in about a year's time as they inevitably do, they got fed up with him and sacked him on the same day that Conte finally got fed up at Spurs like he does. And <laughs> Conte went back to Chelsea and Pochettino came back, back to Spurs and balance was restored to the universe. It would have been perfect, but that's not going to happen, thankfully. Yeah, well, uh, as a fellow South American, I, I really, really like Mauricio. He's he's just a great guy. He's so relatable and he's very approachable. And so... Like with with us Latins, the emotions are always running high. We get emotionally involved, so I can I can completely understand how emotionally involved he is with Spurs, and that is really genuine. And especially after all the years he he spent there, so I'm I was curious to 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 see if this really evolved. If if Chelsea actually sat down and, and had a talk with him, how how he would how he would deal with it because he he genuinely likes Spurs and he was very involved with the club and he, he still watches the the he still watches Spurs so still wears the merchandise still wears the merchandise <laughs> but the, the romantic Merch. in me would would really would really not enjoy that and and well, yeah I was kind of relieved as well um I should make the point that in the other game in the group, Eintracht Frankfurt, the pot one team got walloped by um, mm. Sporting and the star was Marcus Edwards, formerly of Spurs. Um, and thinking about being about South America, we'll t- go to the break with this thought for Natalie. Spurs, Pochettino, Ardias, Villa, Lamella, I'm going to go through a list, have a wonderful relationship with their Argentinian footballers. And until very recently... Our relationship with the Brazilian uh, influx into into Spurs has been rather more patchy. We'll discuss that next. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Charlie Eccleshare is here and so is Natalie Hedra, ESPN Brazilian football expert, as you can hear perfectly at home on The View from the Lane as well. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hi, it's Lindsay Hooper here, host of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Are you still buzzing from the Euros this summer? I know I am. Excited to see the players back in action as the WSL season kicks off? Well, make sure you tune into our weekly podcast because we've got you covered every step of the way. We'll have interviews with the top players in the women's game, plus former pros like Kelly Smith and Karen Bardsley and many more. Just follow or subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.
Yeah, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Charlie Eccleshare is very much in the house. And so is Natalie Hedra um, from ESPN, our Brazilian football expert, enjoying her contribution uh, very much so far, which takes us to the point, Natalie, where I want to talk about the Spurs players who are Brazilian. I mean, obviously, you must be the busiest woman in the world at the moment because your job is to look at is to, to, to report back um, one of your jobs about the Brazilians in the Premier League. Now, there was a few a while back and then there was more. But suddenly, we've gone through a kind of looking glass here where I was talking to South American football expert Tim Vickery the other night, from, oddly enough, from Brazil. And he was saying that he thinks half of the Brazilian World Cup squad will be from the Premier League. How many people are you trying to keep track on currently? Well, uh, from, from our math, is uh, 29 to, wow. to, to 34 because <laughs> to, because the 34 are the Brazilians that uh, play for other national teams like like Jorginho Jorginho is Brazilian yeah, first yeah. Don't, don't don't try to convince me he's Italian <laughs> uh, so and he's in, he's an important Brazilian so yeah we, we're, we're, we're definitely busy but just keep them coming because we love it yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they, uh, there was a time when Russian football was completely filled with Brazilians and now it's becoming the Premier League, which is great, of course. Um, and let's talk about Richarlison. First of all, let's talk about his performance last night, then we can talk about him uh, as, as a bloke. Um, I'll start with you, Charlie. Um, you know how, probably uh, Natalie doesn't know this, one of the most important things that happens on The View from the Lane is that each of us um, tries to get validation for our otherwise ridiculous views. Um, and I think all, that's all this is about. As, as really, that's all it's about. Men trying to get validation for themselves. It's a microcosmos of life, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> and I um, get rid of her. Come on, let's get her off of here. Um, and uh, <laughs> she's seen through us straight away. Um, I uh, when when he when he signed, I think I said it on here, but also on other platforms. And I'm, I said one thing about Richardson. Why doesn't anyone notice how brilliant he is in the air? He gets. He is a great header of the football. Now, at Everton, it wasn't so obvious because they weren't getting the cross in and modern game, etc. But Charlie, last night, his, apart from, I thought, a pretty good overall contribution, my validation came from the fact that he proved my point. He's great in the air. He is. Can I tell you where my validation came from? Uh, no, first of all, <laughs> let me bask in mine first. Then you can do okay. yours. Okay, then I'll do wasn't mine. I, wasn't uh, I right, Charlie? You were right. You were absolutely right. <laughs> He is. Ah. It was a victory for Spurs and for Danny Kelly. Um, and I like the fact you tried a header from the edge of the penalty area as well. Yes. You don't see that very often, do you? I love that. That yeah. felt so him. But there's something incredibly infectious and endearing about watching him because he just tr- he will try anything. Like he's he's so there's a real lack of polish with him. A lot of jagged edges. He's a great footballer, but he'll do things like that header from like the edge of the box, and you're like, what are you doing? You know, and Ditto, he'll sort of, he'll track back into positions he shouldn't really be in and like boot the ball off against someone and win a throw. We know, we know the English phrase, a can-do person. Richarlison's a will-try person, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he'll just get, get in the thick of it. In what way were you correct, Charlie, so that we can validate you also? Oh, yeah. No, I was delighted because I said we should get Natalie on the pod because <laughs> there are so many Brazilians, etc., etc. And my worry was that we would get her on the day after they hadn't done anything. So when he scored twice, I was like, yes, this completely vindicates me. Yeah. And obviously she's been great, but, you know, mainly that. Well, hang on, she's been great so far. Yeah, yeah. no, we're just, we're just halfway. Can do a lot of things wrong in the next half hour. Na- Natalie, what you can do, though, that none of us uh, can, can do on the pod normally, as I say, we live in a strange world now where we are really held at a far distance away from footballers. 
They're often from different cultures, different languages. They are not allowed by the clubs to talk. And so somebody like yourself, who I know gets access to the uh, Brazilian, the Portuguese-speaking players, um, it's invaluable because when we spoke yesterday on the phone briefly, um, you were saying, yes, you've sat down with the Spurs Brazilian contingent. And so I'd love to get a feeling for what they're like individually and as a group. First of all, Richarlison, because his his haircut, his head is from the edge of the box, his crying with his parents after one Champions League game, all gives the impression of this is a kind of slightly on the edge, out of control human being. Um, but we don't know him. We don't know whether he's as smart as Einstein or as thick as, as, as several planks of wood. Tell us something about Richarlison, who I know you know. Richarlison, the definition of Richarlison that I hear from many people and that I completely agree with, Richarlison is a kid. He acts like a kid all the time. And he has, and this is the guy who was crying, hugging his dad. It's That's Richarlison because he's he's so genuine and he, he just acts like a kid uh, all the time. Like uh, he's always joking around and the way he talks to you and he's he's a bit shy as well. But at the same time, he'll, he'll, he'll joke around a little. So so he everybody just really, really likes him in the national team. Everyone who works with Richarlison, he, he just wins people over because he has this personality of uh, kind of a shy guy, kind of a kid. But at the same time, he, he'll come up with, with a joke from out of the blue and he treats everyone really well. If he, if he meets you, Danny, he's going to call you from your, uh, by your name uh, the, the next time, the, the next 100 times he'll meet you. So because he, he's a very... He's a, such a simple guy. I remember when he started uh, getting called up for the national team and he always said that Neymar was his his idol. And, and Neymar today, he loves Richardson. They're always uh, to get, like training together and he's just making the pigeon thing with Richardson because... Oh no, that's <laughs> a terrible influence for Richardson to fall under. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But but he, he's just a simple guy. Well, he, his background is... is, is quite impressive like his mom uh was a cleaner and his dad just worked in in construction so so he he sold ice creams uh at, at football grounds at the age of 10 11 with his grandfather so he could pay for for, for he, he could help his family basically and and he just he he's he's such a nice guy it's like in brazil everybody likes richarlison there's not even an argument he he's he everybody loves him not only because he's wow. so endearing and and so charismatic but at the same time he uh he he spoke out in 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 so um he spoke out about important matters such as vaccines yeah. and and uh, environment issues and and women's rights and you you would never think no that- you wouldn't that's this is this, i mean i'm not joking now this is why i really really want to talk to you because we just don't get this impression of him from what we know charlie uh, in the, in in the press and it's always that issue and i know you know this when you get somebody to speak to somebody in their own language, it just transforms what they're prepared to say, isn't it? Isn't it? Completely. Um, yeah. I mean, I've said this to you before, Natty, but like they, for them, it must be so nice having, you know, a friendly face and someone who they can speak to in their in their native tongue and relax. And I just think it's so interesting with him that on the pitch, he's such this pantomime villain. And then is as you describe, and I and you know that's a tale as old as time that people say you know that cliche of you cross the white line and you become someone else. But it must be funny for you knowing him and knowing 
what he's like to then see him sort of winding everyone up yes, and, I, you know, I was, all opposition fans hating I him. I would never expect that. And it's funny because he comes across, I can, I can understand he comes across very differently on, on the pitch. And a few weeks ago, I, I had a sit down with, with Hugo, Hugo Lohis and he was, he was just saying, uh, I, I asked about Richarlison and then he started laughing and, and Lohis, he's such a lovely guy and he just, he picked his words perfectly, but uh, what he was trying to say is, uh, I would never think he's like that on the daily basis. He literally said, you really don't know someone until you just start working with him and, and sharing a dressing room. And now everybody loves him. And I think we could see that yesterday after the match because all the players were hugging him. Everybody was mm. happy for him because he just, he wins people over. He's this type and that, of person. And that's why Spurs had to do that rather staged introduction in the canteen when Romero, who'd spent the previous yeah. season kicking him up in the air, went over and <laughs> gave Richarlison a pat on the back. I mean, it was all terribly stagey, but actually it, it, it was nice if you're a Spurs fan because those we always see it with Brazilian and Argentinian footballers. They always seem to pick each other out in the Premier League games for a bit of clog. Um, and we love it. Yeah, of course we love it, yeah. Are you like that with the Argentinian reporters, Natalie? Oh, oh yeah. Giving them, Studs up. Giving them Studs the elbow up, yeah. in the mix zone. We don't speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's, she's there stealing their sausage roll at half time. <laughs> but on the pitch yesterday, I think what, what's really interesting is that he's, perf he's, he's playing roles at Spurs that I, I haven't seen him play before uh, at Everton or in the national team because it was very clear that he was either a winger or he could play with as a, a second, second forward. Or, or almost a striker or even as a striker I remember the first time he played as a striker for the national team and everybody was a bit suspicious because he was always a winger and he has the, the speed and he he has the edge at the, the the final third but now he's just he's he's all around absolutely and I, I you know he, he can never be Harry Kane but he gives a, he, he gives us an option of because Kane's not going to run past people uh, for a long ball and and, and Richarlison can. And as we saw with the two headers, um, Conti's assistants, there are a lot of them, probably writing down, put in more crosses, you know. <laughs> um, the earth is flat. We need more crosses. Um, what about Emerson Royal? Because um, he's had a, if Richarlison's had a pretty good start to his Spurs um, c career, Emerson's had a much more difficult time convincing first the manager and then the fans who are, I mean, if Spurs are playing badly, he's one of the players that gets picked out, I think it's fair to say, Natalie. And again, we have to be honest, we have to use the evidence of our own eyes. He did not play well yesterday. What kind of a, what kind of a guy is, is Emerson Royal? I had a sit down with him early this season and he, he's, a, he's a really funny guy first. He's, he's, a, he's an, an enjoyable The players seem to like him, uh, to be mm -hmm. fair. When he does something good, he gets a lot of encouragement from his teammates. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, when when I had the sit down with him uh, two or three weeks ago, he was saying, and and we were talking about when Conte arrived and how how much he he lost space in the team, and he was just saying that uh, he really struggled with uh, playing uh, five in the back. He wasn't used to it at all, and he has these people who work with him and and analysts and and the personal trainer and uh, this whole staff that most of them actually live with him. You wouldn't believe the, the amount of people who live with Emerson Royale. And he has a guy that, that does his Sorry, analysis. What do you mean, live, do you mean live, live with live, him? Live, live, under the same roof. In his roof. house? Yes, under the same roof, yes. See, this In is North the stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brazilians, they have this thing. I don't understand. 
understand, but like they bring a lot of people to to live with them. So so Emerson has an uh, among other people like personal trainer, nutritionist, and everything. He has a a guy who does his analysis, and they were talking, and he he worked with him and with Spurs coaching staff. Uh, his his struggles and his his blockages on on. Uh, playing with five in the back. So at first he really struggled with that. And then when the season was over, he, he, he played more because Doherty got injured, of course. And during his holidays, he said he really wanted to work very hard because he wanted to be at his best when, when, when the new season arrived. And he, he did this during his holidays. And he even pointed out, I know a lot of players, and it's true, a lot of players were saying that preseason physically was crazy. And, but he didn't struggle at all. He said, for me, it was okay because I was training during my, my whole period of holiday. So that, that shows true commitment. So physically he's, he's, he's doing really well. And he knows, I, I, I think he, he's more aware of his limitations in, in certain systems and in playing four in the back or five in the back and what he can or cannot offer. And he really likes Conte. He really does. I thought he would be, because players sometimes they're a bit like, oh, this guy's not playing me. I, I, I'm not really sure. But he, re, he's, he, he praises Conte a lot. So that was, that was surprising. And he's now playing every game. I mean, he's, the, uh, he's as regular a starter as Harry Kane. You can't, you can't drop right out. I mean, I think that is it. I mean, that's the... We, we've spoken about it so many times with him. He is a reasonably defensive right-back, full-back, let alone a wing-back. And I've said to you before, Natalie, I definitely think he paid the price, perceptions-wise, for being Brazilian because everyone thought, a, you know, a Brazilian right-back, we've signed the next Cafu or Maicon or a combination. And he's just a very different type of full-back. But I think we we have those preconceptions. It was, it was, it, it was, made, it was made worse by it was a Brazilian who'd come from Barcelona. Pres- yeah. Presumably he can play yeah. and can cross the ball. Yeah. Um, we need for, for Emerson Royal to really thrive we need unlimited substitutions like in ice hockey so that he can make his great run up the wing and then somebody else comes on to make the cross for him <laughs> although I suppose you can train yourself to cross more it would be wrong Natalie not to mention Lucas Mora um, we know a little bit more about him because he speaks English um, and he seems like a very quiet guy but, but uh, on the pitch excitable when he gets going um, and although he appears to be slightly on the fringes of things now he can never he can never not be a Spurs legend because of that night in Amsterdam. Yes, yes, no, definitely. And he's such a team player and he was always like that. I remember when he was turning pro back in Sao Paulo and everybody just loved Lucas because he was just one of us, you know. I remember at the end of the, the season, they always threw a barbecue, a big barbecue for all the journalists who covered, who were club correspondents. And Lucas was always with us. And we were like, you should be on holidays. And he was just there sitting down playing cards with everyone and playing video game because he, he's just a lovely guy and he's such a team player you know and he's the guy who gives presents to everyone on on christmas and 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 of course he he he's really bothered with that uh stigma of him being uh, a good option for second half and he struggled with it most of his career but same thing same thing happened to him at paris yeah Yes, I always wonder if if things would have been different if if he would if, if he would have been chosen to play that Champions League final, uh, and I know he 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 will always resent that a little, 
Yeah. But but uh, I, I I don't know what the future holds for him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he left uh, in, yeah, in this, case, this last it, window. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there, there was some people chatting about that. But actually, when you look down the bench, he, he you know when he's fit, he he's still and he won't like me saying this. He's still a very good option to come on and cause some more chaos in the last minutes. I won't. In the, can can yeah. I just ask a question about Mora? Yeah, because something Natalie we've talked about before. Mora, he's a big. Bolsonaro supporter, he's been public about that. And I'm sure listeners will know, but Bolsonaro is the very right-wing populist uh, Brazilian president. Git is the word you're looking for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, that's, uh, I'll let Natalie talk about that. But like, is that, a, is that a, as a reporter, is that a, does that uh, does that affect how he's perceived by Brazilians or does that affect how, when you speak to him? Yeah, no, at first it did. He got a lot of questions around it. And I think what helped him in this sense is that he was very open about it. And he was very open in the sense of, uh, if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. And, and he, he, he comes across really well, even when he's... He's talking about uh, very unpopular matters as as Bolsonaro and this bizarre choice of, of well, the, in Brazil, we're living a very, very peculiar moment where everything is very polarized. So you have a lot of players who support Bolsonaro, which is beyond me, honestly, and beyond mm -hmm. most of us. But at least he's very open about it and he's not arrogant and he, he talks about it he's always willing to to listen to the other side but at first people were a bit like really is mm. he really because he was open about it most players are bolsonaro supporters but they are not open about it and they don't like talking about it and lucas he why knows. do you think they are why do you think most of them are they're wealthy yes i think i think sometimes it's just a, a so it can be a, a very simplistic view of uh, we need to go to the to the other end of the spectrum. Like we had a left uh, left hand president in Lula, and we have to to go. Uh, we have to do the opposite now. And th this is an argument that that serves m most people who support Bolsonaro. And then the rest is just like it's very socially uh, more complex in terms of uh, the way he grew and and the way people were disappointed with with uh, political views from from the previous president from Lula. So it's all very complex and it's very very hard to understand. I will never understand. How well, someone... well, uh, <laughs> I mean, Charlie, I will know. I've repeated this before, but there was a very famous book written about about Spurs fifty years ago called The Glory Game by a very great writer called Hunter Davis. And um, it was about, he had he had unlimited access to a Spurs team in the early 70s that was doing really, really well. Um, and in the, 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 the last third of the book is a series of questions and answers with all of the squad. And he asked the squad who they vote for. And the very young Steve Perryman, who went on to make a thousand appearances for Spurs, said, well, I vote Labour. Don't all footballers vote Labour? And then every single member of the squad said, conservative, conservative, conservative. Mm. So, you know, footballers, um, not all, but they can tend towards a rather um, small C, conservative view of life. Now, I won't insult you um, by asking you who the five other Brazilians who represented Spurs are, because I'll go through <laughs> them. And um, we know Carlos Vinicius had, I thought he was, he was fun at Marine. Um, Pauli Ten goals. Yep, Paulinho... Came as a great as a great player and just didn't what show anything. What happened there? Right? I don't know. I don't know. We, I mean, we it, don't know either. We don't know either. And he, he ends, was brilliant he, he, in Corinthians. And then he ends up back at uh, back at Barcelona. You know, it's it's yeah. nuts. Herelio Gomez is a cult hero at Spurs because of mm. the way he kept the goal. Um, Sandro, 
I think was a really good player yeah. before he got injured. Um, and also, I think Tim Sherwood uh, misjudged Sandro. There was a famous game, I think it was against Chelsea, where afterwards Tim Sherwood came out, slaughtered Sandro um, without realising that he was the most popular figure in the dressing room. Um, and the Spurs stopped playing for Sherwood after that. Uh, these are my interpretation of events. Um, <laughs> and I'm just, my, le my legal friends have told me it's okay to say it. The one I never understood was Gilberto, um, Natalie. You, how can you have a Brazilian who looks like he's never seen a football before? I don't know. I, I, I wish I could give you a, a, a brilliant answer on, on Gilberto, but I don't know. There are players who just, they, they really thrive on, on other other countries and not even not only in Brazil but other countries and they just come here and they struggle to adapt and they just give up easily. So uh, we, we've seen this happening with so many South Americans actually. They just they, they, they think it's not for them and they just give up easily. And and maybe it was the case with him because he was he was he was such a good player. Uh, and 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 with with Paulinho it was the same. Like oh, we could pa not. Paoli I don't understand the Paulinho thing at all. We could not understand. It. And as uh, I, I really followed Paulinho in Brazil, so when he left Corinthians, everybody was like, "God, he's the next big star, next European big star." And no, he, he definitely wasn't, <laughs> right? So, maybe yeah. maybe he didn't have enough people living in his house. Maybe, maybe that's the thing, yes. His entourage, yes, his entourage. Uh, look, we can see people behind you at your house here, Natalie. Just, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're just emerging. 12, You've got 13, your 14, yeah. 15, wow. There's your, that's there's that your noise personal you can hear in chef, the background. really good, really good. I like as well, Danny, the way you put these players to Nat as if she's responsible. Oh, for oh believe me. I've been, I will have a talk with them. I've been, yeah, I've, can you speak to Gilberto? I've been, looking, I've been looking for the personal responsibility, responsible for um, both Gilberto and Paulinho's time at Spurs. And if, if you're not connected, I can only apologise, uh, Natalie. Look, I mean, thank you so much because um, that was really one of the reasons why when Charlie suggested it, I thought it was a great idea. Somebody who actually has met these fellas and let, get, get, let us get... A, better picture of what kind of men they are. The only thing about Richarlison as well, he so clearly loves playing football, which I think goes a long way with a footballer and me in, in the modern day. Um, we're running out of time, but we shouldn't forget that we have um, a very tricky game at the weekend. I mean, maybe not. Spurs' record against Manchester City is so good. I should say it's a gimme. Um, it's an absolute gimme, a tap-in. Um, we have a game, a game against Manchester City away, this Manchester City, with the added problem of Haaland. Um, but I suppose, Natalie, I know you're going to the game. I suppose that having less possession, being parked on the edge of our own, but the first half yesterday was a good practice for the game against Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I, the, the, the Haaland factor really intrigues me because last, last season at the Etihad, they had uh, uh, 29% of, of possession spurs. And, but the thing is, okay, you can control matches without having the ball, but Holland can also control matches without having the ball because he, he touches the ball like eight, nine times and he exactly. scored two goals. So how do you deal with that? It's going to be a true test on, on how Spurs can defend and anticipate his moves. It is, it is, the, it is, it is the combination of problems that Haaland brings. If you defend deep, really deep, just to deny him space... He is so physically powerful, you know, Ibrahimovic powerful, that he w wins headers four yards from the goal, above the goalkeeper, as we've seen. 
if you play high against him, let's say a, a Liverpool style, he is the quickest big man I've seen for a long, long time. He's explosively fast. So, um, but Antonio Conte, the earth is flat, vacate the midfield. He is the one being paid, not me, to have the idea of what to do about Haaland. I suppose, Charlie, um, the old cliche, stop his supply, stop it at source. Yeah, it, it, that does pose a massive threat and a massive difference from that game last season. I mean, Jack and I were talking about it yesterday at the game. about. Were you talking with Dan as well? <laughs> in this instance, actually, it was just Jack. Yeah, we, we excluded him from this. Um, no, it happened to be, we were talking about Haaland and trying to think of any precedent for someone that, uh, this physical and this quick. And I mean, Ronaldo... Uh, the yeah, the original, original Ronaldo. Ronaldo That's the one he reminds me of. Yeah, the real yeah. one. He was meant, you know, we mentioned him. And I think that that is a comparison. Obviously, the difference is that Haaland is also so tall. Um, so he's just, I'm, I'm so intrigued to see how anyone stops him um, this I mean, season. If you... But I think Spurs will, do, Spurs will do what they've done to sit. They will try and do what they've done to sit. City give you half the pitch to play in. The problem is no one can ever get there because... They're so good at keeping the ball. And if you do beat them, Rodri just comes and fouls you. So it's so difficult. But Spurs are, I would say, probably the team that have done it best. Maybe Liverpool yeah, over the because last Because they, they have... In, 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 they also have Kyle Walker who can sweep up this. Yes, but they all, but they but Son in particular occupies that square. No team can play the whole pitch. City leave that square behind their fullbacks, tucked in, way forward, huge square of grass, free. And Spurs have essentially found ways, either with long balls or one-twos near the halfway line, to get Son into that space. Um, mind you, the way he's currently playing, and I adore him, um, he would the ball would bounce off his knee for a throw-in. So, but maybe it's all going to change at the weekend. Um, do you think Richarlison will start, Charlie? Well, I wrote my piece off the back of the game saying I don't see how he doesn't. What I think is interesting is that my suspicion was that he started Wednesday partly with Saturday in mind thinking, OK, we'll bring Kudusevsky back and we'll go to the front three that destroyed City in that game last season. Kudusevsky, Kane, Son. Kudusevsky scored, got an assist. Kane scored twice. Son got two assists. They were lethal. But And I think that may have been in Conte's thinking. But I asked him after. I was like, but... but what happens now? I mean, Richarlison, you surely can't drop him after that. Uh, and he said, yeah, well, I've, you know, I've got a tough decision. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm so intrigued. I mean, he could. He could play all four and play Kudusevsky at right wing back. Whoa. I think that would be a hugely bold call. <laughs> yeah, but against um, City. And Perisic left wing back, so I suppose they're playing a front five. That's the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? Get after Manchester um, City, Yeah. But I think I don't know. I think I think Richardson has to start. So if he does go with a with Royale at right wing back, then it's between Son and Kudusevsky. Son's out of form, but it's City and it's Son. And and after the the Sevilla match, Pep said something interesting about how players are are a bit anxious to get to get the ball to Holland too quickly, mm -hmm. and he's trying to to manage that. So if Spurs can take advantage of, of those moments where they are just uh, playing out of their tempo and and get the ball and, and counter attack, then then that could that can mean something to, to Spurs. Yeah, I, I think on another platform I, I did say that everyone was saying, "Oh, wait till Manchester, wait till Haaland gets used to the Manchester City system." No, the problem will come when Manchester City get used to playing with Haaland. Um, they will change the way they play, and it'll be it'll be monstrous. But we have to try and remain optimistic, I suppose. Um, and even to be to be truthful, even if if the if something calamitous does happen, 
Um, I can't pretend, despite not understanding the vacated midfield and the flat earth, um, Spurs have had a good start to the season. They've been unbeaten so far. They got through a difficult tie against a Marseille side that's in great form in France. So um, when occasionally you hear me complaining about them, I bet I do take the, the wider view that um, the team are ha- winning teams are happy teams and, and you know they'll, they'll be happy enough with themselves. Yeah, I think points-wise, wouldn't you say playing with house money a little bit this weekend? I mean, obviously... It'd be brilliant to get a result, but I think if they don't, they've got enough in the bank from the first six games that this, you know it's not a disaster. They're not in a disastrous position, even if they lose that game. Far from it. Well, Liverpool would say that playing yeah. well and, and and not getting results, uh, yeah, it's just not enough. So, so yeah, maybe, and, maybe. And also, it should be pointed out because we are, you know, it's our job to be granular here. It's a Spurs podcast, after all. Um, this is an unpredictable season because of the World Cup, and I get I get all that. But um, it means in the whatever happens in in, in Manchester, um, it means that we will have played Manchester City away, Chelsea away, and West Ham away really early in the season. Those are Tottenham's three most difficult away games most season for one reason or another. Um, and I think I think we play Liverpool away. I'm not sure um, before. No, Liverpool's no, the only one sorry. that don't play away. Yeah, the, all, all the, others, the big ones do. are in they the first Arsenal half of the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you could argue you're ticking off the more difficult fixtures in the first half of the season. I think that's an advantage. And we'll see how they get on. Um, I'll, I'll thank Natalie properly in a second. First, let me remind you, of course, um, that if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, I know this means that the podcast is coming to an end. I can hear you all howling. No, no, go on for another hour. Um, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, remember that you can sign up uh, to read all of the Brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as everything else on the site, a mountain of gear. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. Wow. Uh, that's, that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Charlie, as always, for being with us. But Natalie, a special round of applause for you in Portuguese. Um, you know, if such a thing as possible for coming on and enlightening us um, about the Spurs Brazilian contingent thank you very much indeed oh thank you for having me it was such a pleasure okay. really enjoyed it yeah, well, I enjoyed it too and I hope that you the listeners subscribers downloaders whatever you're called these days um, enjoyed it too um, we'll be back on Monday when we'll see what's happened in Manchester bless you all bye bye for now The Athletic